When my kids were in elementary school, they had a week, possibly around Christmas, that they learned about various cultures of the world. And among the festivities of the week, the school devoted a day to sampling the breads and pastries of world cultures. My kids described the experience of being ushered in as 10-year-olds into the school atrium where the tables were laden with these exotic breads, and, and their first thought was, great, another food thing. I won't be able to eat any of this. And then lo and behold, they noticed that they, the Jews, were represented among this handful of strange foreign other cultures. So there was one thing on this table they could eat, matzah. Now, unlike the other kids, they got a full-size cracker of matzah since nothing else in the line is certified kosher. And then this fourth grader has got to figure out how to do nitilasi adayim, how to perform a ritual hand-washing, because for us, eating bread is a sacred act. Teacher, can, can I go uh, wash my hands? Why, certainly, the teacher responds, impressed by the child's hygienic conscientiousness. And so the Jewish kids are powering through this loaf of what the Bible calls bread of affliction, a dry cracker containing only one ingredient, wheat flour, which was most likely baked six months to a year ago, all the while having flashbacks of April, where for two nights in a row at about 11.30 at night, they ate so much of this stuff they could feel it like a rock in their stomach. And all the Gentile kids are raving about it, saying, oh, this matzah stuff is so good. You know, let's face it. Okay, there's something iconic about matzah, especially that square, crispy, Ashkenazi, machine-made kind. And, and also, it's cheap. It's easy to acquire. It doesn't require refrigeration. It never spoils. So I get why the school picked it. The irony is that matzah is nowhere near the list of the greatest Jewish glutinous culinary achievements. It's not a great first impression of Jewish culture. I mean, of all the Jewish breads to choose, why not challah, the, the, the delicious and moist cake masquerading as bread? Or, or how about something sweet like, like babka or rugelach or hamantaschen or sufganiyot? I mean, Jews invented bagels, for heaven's sake. You know, add a little lox and schmear to make it authentic. Okay, so you want something more exotic? How about lafa or malawach? But no, they had to go and pick the one bread that we eat only because we have to and that we try our hardest to avoid for the other 98% of the year. Okay, to, to be fair, Passover is foundational to Jewish identity. Over and over again, God invokes the exodus from Egypt as his basis for issuing the commandments. Every time we say Kiddush, whether it's for Passover or Sukkot or Shavuot, and in fact, every Friday night, we call these holy days a memorial of the exodus from Egypt. And what's more, there is a commandment in the Torah for Jewish people to remember the exodus from Egypt every single day. Deuteronomy 16.3 says, 
uh, you shall eat no leavened bread with the Passover sacrifice. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. Now, the Hebrew word translated remember in that verse is not talking about, it's not referring to a mental process. Whenever the Bible says remember, the word means drawing attention to something through spoken words. And so as our, our prophets and our sages developed the, our daily prayers, they made sure to include verbal acknowledgments of the exodus from Egypt in both the morning and evening prayers of every day. Now, today is the last Shabbat. Actually, as I'm recording this, it's the, it's the last Friday before the holy time of Passover. So, so it's important to take this opportunity to prepare our hearts and minds for this meeting with God. And I'd, I'd like to focus on one of the core symbols and that is matzah. But before we get too deep into things, I need to give you a basic overview. Considering that we, we have a lot of new people in our community with varying degrees of familiarity with the holiday. And so if you've been doing this for a long time, just bear with, with me as I review some basic facts. So take a look again at Deuteronomy 16. And I'm going to read this actually from the art scroll Humash because I tried bringing this in from the ESV, but there were so many translation errors I would need to, to, to correct that it would detract from my point. And so Deuteronomy 16 in the art scroll, Humash, it says, You shall observe the month of springtime and perform the Pesach offering for Hashem your God. For in the month of springtime, Hashem your God took you out of Egypt at night. You shall slaughter the Pesach offering to Hashem your God from the flock and also offer cattle in the place where Hashem will choose to rest his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. For seven days you shall eat matzahs because of it, bread of affliction, for you departed from the land of Egypt in haste, so that you will remember the day of your departure from Egypt all the days of your life. No leaven of yours shall be seen throughout your boundary for seven days, nor shall any of the flesh that you slaughter on the afternoon before the first day remain overnight until morning. You may not slaughter the Pesach offering in one of your cities that Hashem your God gives you, except at the place that Hashem your God will choose to rest his name. There you shall slaughter the Pesach offering in the afternoon, when the sun descends at the appointed time, of your departure from Egypt. You shall roast it and eat it in the place that Hashem your God will choose. And in the morning, you may turn back and go to your tents. For a six-day period, you shall eat matzahs. And on the seventh day, there shall be an assembly to Hashem your God. You shall not perform labor. Okay, now the holiday that we typically refer to as Passover, the Torah calls Chag HaMatzot or the festival of matzahs. When the Torah uses the term Passover, whenever the term says Pesach or Passover, it's talking about a sacrifice, not a holiday. Now, we cannot offer 
sacrifices today, any sacrifices. And, and this passage makes it clear that the Passover lamb can only be offered in Jerusalem at the altar. God willing, if, you, if you're here for, with, with us um, for afternoon prayers on Wednesday, that's the, at the day that's Erev Pesach, we will go into great detail about how that offering was performed. In, in ancient times, people would eat the, the lamb with matzah and bitter herbs. as kind of like a burrito. Keep in mind that until a, a, a few hundred years ago, all matzah was floppy, like a tortilla. The idea to make it crispy like a cracker is relatively new. So at Yeshua's final Seder with his disciples, and for that matter, every Seder Yeshua attended, matzah was, was soft, like laffa, and not crackery. So when the temple was standing, that burrito was served along with other sacrificial meat and side dishes on that first night of Chag HaMatzot, the seven-day festival of unleavened bread. And that meal is the starting point for what we now know of as the Passover Seder. Now, I just said seven-day festival, but I should mention that here outside the land of Israel, this holiday extends for an additional eighth day, and I don't have time to get into the reasons for that for now. But, but why do we have a festival? Why do we have a festival dedicated to flatbread? I mean, it, it makes sense to celebrate and commemorate the exodus from Egypt. Fine. The slavery, the, the showdown between Moses and and Aaron and Pharaoh, the the ten plagues, the blood on the doorposts, and the splitting of the sea. Fine, okay, makes sense to have a holiday. But if you were to summarize that whole event in one word, would you really arrive at matzot, flatbread? Sure, unleavened bread appears in the story, yes, but it's it's a relatively minor character. How did matzah? end up claiming center stage. Now, okay, at the Passover Seder, we have stacks of matzah at our table because we all need to eat it. Um, but the most common custom is for the leader to set aside three special symbolic matzot. And there are many ex- explanations for why three matzot. And there are, 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 are perhaps there are multiple valid answers to this question. One of the most compelling, in my opinion is that matzah has three distinct roles in the exodus from Egypt. As we just read in in Deuteronomy 16, matzah is called the bread of affliction. And another possible translation is bread of poverty. And at our Seder, the Haggadah instructs us to say, this is the bread of affliction that our forefathers ate in the land of Egypt. So it's clear that matzah symbolizes the slavery and suffering and poverty in Egypt. And yet, another rational explanation for why we eat matzah at our seder is not because it was slave food, but because God specifically instructed our ancestors to eat the Passover lamb with matzah. So Exodus 12.8 says, They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Pharaoh didn't tell him to do that. The matzah doesn't represent slavery. It represents our faith in God as we trusted in God to spare our houses and as he struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And so we're eating it at our Seder along with bitter herbs 
in, in uh, imitation of that event, the night of the Exodus. See, that makes a lot of sense. But then again, this contradicts what we read in the Haggadah. There's a point in the Passover Haggadah where we lift up the matzah and then explicitly ask the question, this matzah, what does it symbolize? And the answer the Haggadah provides is it represents the fact that there was not enough time for our ancestors' dough to rise before the king over kings of kings, the blessed holy one, was revealed to them and redeemed them. And then it quotes this verse, Exodus 12, 39. And they baked unleavened cakes of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. Okay, that's also a very compelling answer. They didn't eat matzah because they were forced to, and they didn't even eat matzah because they were commanded to. It was just the natural outcome of the circumstances. They didn't have time to let it rise. The matzah then is at our Seder to symbolize how instantly the redemption occurred. And the matzah actually then is really the bread of freedom. So, wait a second, which is it? Is it the bread of poverty and affliction? Is it the bread of faith in the midst of darkness? Or is it the bread of sudden freedom? And the answer is, of course, it represents all three things. And this is a great explanation for why we have three matzot. Just as a poor man takes his loaf, tears it in half, and sets aside one sets one part aside for tomorrow, we have one broken matzah. The other two matzahs, the, the bread of faith and the bread of freedom, are, are complete and they are unbroken. Deuteronomy 16.33 commands that you shall not eat leavened bread with the Passover lamb. So the word translated leavened bread here is chametz. Chametz is not easy to translate. It doesn't actually necessarily take the form of bread. And it's not leavened in the way that we do in modern times. Chametz is defined as the combination of, of certain kinds of grain with water left to sit and ferment before baking. So to make fluffy bread, you normally ferment it. You, however, Chametz is not about fluffiness. It's about fermentation. The word chametz is related to the word for sour. You can, you can speed up the fermentation process by adding yeast, uh, as they, or as they did in ancient times, mix in a little piece of already fermented dough. However, that is not strictly necessary. All that is needed to make leavened bread is flour, water, and time. How much time? The, the first st stage in the biochemical process of leavening probably it starts the instant the water and the flour combine. But Jewish law is always based on things a typical person can see and experience firsthand. So the sages approached it this way. At what point are there observable differences between a lump of dough that's been sitting on the counter for a while and one that you just finished kneading? 
Now, those obser uh, observable differences, such as you know, change of colors, the formation of cracks on the surface, those may or may not be the result of fermentation, but that's not the point. The point is that once you've observed a change, time is now an ingredient in your food, and Passover is all about time. Early Jewish authorities noted that significant changes are typically observable around 18 minutes, which is the standard we use to this day. So in order to make a kosher matzah for Passover, one must finish baking it within 18 minutes of when it is done being needed. On a practical note, that might mean things that you don't think of as leavened bread could still be chametz. Chametz doesn't really mean leavened bread. For example, noodles, tortillas, or crackers, or grain-based vinegar, which is a common ingredient in other foods such as condiments, or grain-based alcohol, which forms the base for flavoring extracts. Now, okay, if you're not Jewish, don't sweat it. This is not one of the laws that the apostles obligated Gentiles to observe. If you, if you feel like trying it out or participating, that's your decision. Now, if you, you, if you are Jewish and you're new to this idea, don't sweat it. There's space for someone to learn and grow. It's not all or nothing. You can work into it. Nonetheless, if, if you're wondering why observant Jews seem a little excessive when it comes to this commandment, going so far as to take a, a blowtorch to our kitchens and then envelop them in aluminum foil, it's because the Torah states in Exodus 12 the consequences for eating chametz is to be cut off from Israel. It's not something to be taken lightly. It's not a minor commandment. The Torah wants us not only to scrupulously avoid eating chametz, it must not even be seen in our possession. Why is that such a, a serious prohibition? Well, let's, let's consider the symbolism of chametz and matzah. What are some ideas you've heard about what chametz and matzah symbolize? You might say, the first thing you might say is possibly sin, because 1 Corinthians 5.8, Paul says, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old chametz, the chametz of malice and evil, but with the matzah of sincerity and truth. Okay, malice and evil. Those are sort of generic words, but I find his opposite terms more interesting. You would think that if chametz represents malice and evil, then matzah would represent kindness and goodness. But no, look what he says sincerity and truth which is interesting if you if we move on to Luke chapter 12 verse 1 Yeshua warned his disciples beware of the chametz it could be honestly it could be the word seor but we won't get into that beware of the chametz of the Pharisees which is hypocrisy okay so if chametz is hypocrisy that is to say performance for the sake of being seen then matzah would be sincerity and truth and humility. And that leads to another idea, humility. Uh, the, uh, people often point out that chametz puffs up dough, right? Fluffy bread, it's puffed up. Matzah remains lowly, it's flat, it's, it's lowly. 
So when we read that matzah is the, the bread of affliction, it's, the, it's, it's called lechem oni, another possible interpretation of that, that name is that it's the bread of humility. So, so matzah represents being humble and chametz represents being proud. Okay, well, we could, we could move on to that, uh, from, from that, humility. Um, it's also simple food. It's very simple. Sim- matzah is simplicity, and chametz is complexity. You know, matzah is the simplest possible bread, and that sim- simplicity represents closeness to the source and to the divine origin of all things. In, in the same way, the, the high priest on the Day of Atonement removes his colorful, com- com- complex, lavish outfit, and he puts on simple white linen in order to enter the Holy of Holies. And, and so in that sense, the simple matzah represents the simple unity of the spiritual world, and chametz re- represents the complexity and the differentiation of what we find in lower worlds. Sorry for getting a little bit, a uh, little bit too spiritual here, but moving on, Okay, we're talking about the spirit. We're talking about the the physical world, the spiritual world. How about the Yetzer Hara and the Yetzer Hatov? The that's the the evil inclination and the good inclination. The two different forces within a human being pulling us in different directions. One of the sages, uh, Rabbi Alexandri, he he uh, composed a prayer that he recited after saying the Amida, and in his prayer he would say. Master of the universe, you know that that it really is our will to do your will. But what prevents us? The seor, that's the leaven, another term for chametz, or related term to chametz, the seor that is in the dough. So the commentaries um, on this prayer explain that that, that he's talking about the, the yetzer hara. So then perhaps matzah, is the Yetzer Hatov, the, the, the inclination to do good. Okay, how about this? Matzah is made very quickly, and so it represents alacrity. Alacrity, zurizus. Zuri, it's, uh, another word for alacrity is um, it's like the, the initiative to do something right away. The opposite of that would be laziness, atzalus, or procrastination. And Exodus 12, 17 has this, this commandment, you shall guard the matzos. You shall guard the matzot. Now, um, um, the Midrash Mechilta, the Rabbi Ishmael on this verse says, don't read this as guard the matzot, but guard the mitzvot, spelled very similarly. So just as you are not allowed to delay, he says, when you are making a matzah, lest it begin to ferment, in the same way, when a mitzvah opportunity presents itself, do not let it ferment. Do not delay in performing it. Okay, so it kind of goes along with this idea of the yetzer hara and the yetzer hatov. The yetzer hara wants to delay, wants to just do it, its own needs. The yetzer hatov is, says, no, we got to do it right away. And so that goes along with the quickness of matzot. Um, and finally, we've got one more uh, interesting comparison. Um, corruption versus immortality. Because fer- fermentation is really a, a form of decomposition, right? So perhaps we could see chametz as the mortal human body that dies and decays 
and matzah as the immortal, incorruptible, resurrected body that lasts forever. Matzah doesn't seem to decay at all. At one time, I bought a package of matzah from a kosher store right before Passover, and when I brought it home, I noticed it was labeled for Passover of the previous year. And honestly, I I don't think I, I would have noticed the difference if it didn't say so on the package. Now, however, this phenomenon only holds true regarding the modern-day crispy Ashkenazi matzah, the floppy, soft matzah that was common only a hundred or a few hundred years ago does quite readily spoil. So don't we got to take that into consideration. When Yeshua held up the matzah at his Seder and he stated, this is my body, it's fascinating to go through that list and, and, and compare how each of these potential interpretations would compare to him. But with each of these symbols, we have to ask this question, why only Pesach? In other words, if pork symbolized sin, then I could understand it, because we're supposed to abstain from pork all year round. But with chametz? There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever for the rest of the weeks of the year. If chametz symbolizes something inherently undesirable, then why do we accept it and even include it in our observance at other times? Yeshua even taught this parable in Matthew 13, 33. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Now, if, if chametz is undesirable, why would he make such a comparison? Have you ever heard the four questions of the Seder? You probably have. It's one of the, one of the high points of, of the Seder. There's a point in the Seder when it's customary to have the smallest child uh, recite four specific questions to the leader of the Seder. And, and, and technically, they're not four questions. They're more four observations. How different this night is from other nights, the child says. On all other nights, we eat chametz and matzah. Tonight, all of it is matzah. On all other nights, we eat other vegetables. Tonight, maror, the bitter herb. On all other nights, we do not even dip once. Tonight, twice. On all other nights, we eat either sitting or reclining. Tonight, we all recline. And and a fun fact, that last question was not actually one of the original four. In ancient times, people always reclined when eating a formal meal, so it it would not have been something that the child should notice. Um, For example, in the Gospels, any time people are sitting down for a meal, the text there in the Greek and in some translations say that they are reclining. The Mishnah records that instead of that question in ancient times, the child exclaimed, on all other nights we eat meat that is roasted, stewed, or boiled, Tonight, it is all roasted. And that question, that last question is telling. Uh, Today, we don't eat roasted meal at the Seder, which is why we don't say that question. We don't eat roasted meat at the Seder because we want to avoid giving the impression that we are serving a true Passover sacrifice. But this, the child is asking this question in the Mishnah, 
that child is not only eating a Passover sacrifice, but he's he or she is also accustomed to eating sacrificial meals in general. And that's why the child notes that on all on all other nights we eat chametz and matzah. Now, when is it a mitzvah to eat both chametz and matzah? Well, we read about it in this week's Parsha, in Parsha Tzav, the Thanksgiving offering, which is the Korban Todah, is served with a combination of both chametz and matzah together. And so this is the meal the four that the child of the four questions is used to eating, eating the, the, the Thanksgiving offering. Now, back to my earlier point. If chametz is not categorically evil, we're eating it with the, with the Thanksgiving offering, then what is it about it that's incompatible specifically with Passover? I'd suggest that the symbolism of chametz and matzah on the most fundamental level of the Torah is not about sin and not even about pride. It's about time and timelessness. Remember, the recipe for chametz is flour, water, and time. The recipe for matzah is flour and water minus time. Matzah represents timelessness. And the relationship between time and timelessness is at the center of the Exodus narrative. How does the matzah of slavery, this bread of affliction, represent timelessness? It's because time is money. A slave owner doesn't want his slaves to waste time preparing food, so he gives them matzah. Time is the essence of freedom. You could be the richest person in the world, but if someone else owns your time, you are a slave and you are utterly destitute. Pharaoh ruled over us by taking away our time. The child asking the four questions hints at this by saying, Tonight, halayla hazeh. This is a key phrase the Torah uses in its explanation of, of the redemption. And it, it, it actually, it occurs only three times in the entire Bible. All of them are relating to Passover. And in fact, all of them are in Exodus chapter 12. Two of them occur in the form ba-lailahaze, meaning on this night. So Exodus 12.8 uses this phrase to refer to the time for eating the Passover sacrifice. They shall eat the flesh that night, ba-lailahaze, Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. And then four verses later, Exodus 12, 12 describes the slaying of the firstborn. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, Balila Hazeh, and I will strike the firstborn, all, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am Hashem. Now, in verse 29, we see this con- confirmed, as, as the, uh, the Torah tells us, at midnight, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. And so, as we can see here, time is of the essence in the Passover story. Even the word Seder, Seder means order or sequence, alluding to the concept of time. And Pesach doesn't exactly mean Passover, it means skipping. And this is a play on words because it refers not just to space, but to time. Seder Pesach is kind of an oxymoron because it literally means sequence 
of skipping. In keeping with the team, the, the in keeping with the theme of timelessness, the Passover lamb is unique because it must be eaten in a shorter window of time than any of the other sacrifices. In our in our parsha this week in Parsha Tzav, we read that a peace offering, which is called a korban shlamim, must be eaten within two days and one night. In a special kind of a peace offering called the Korban Todah, the Thanksgiving offering, must be eaten within one day and one night. So, the, the, But the Korban Pesach, the Passover offering, even though it's much like the other two offerings, can only be eaten within that one night. Anything left over by the day must be burned. So the Passover offering and the matzah that is eaten with it share in common this elimination of time. The Haggadah tells us, in every generation, a person is obligated to see himself as if he were personally freed from Egypt. In other words, at our Seder, we're not simply remembering or celebrating redemption. We are being redeemed. And around our table, time has collapsed, and we're in Egypt, and our shackles are breaking. And the king over kings of kings, the blessed Holy One, is being revealed upon us. At our Seder, we are in a state of timelessness, even if it feels like it's going on forever. And finally, the connection of the bread of freedom to timelessness is very clear. The bread had no time to rise because redemption came so suddenly. We left Egypt in haste. The message behind this is clear. No matter how things may appear, salvation from Hashem comes in an instant. So there's, a, there's a common Jewish saying this expre that expresses this idea, although no one seems to know exactly where the saying came from because it's, it's not in the Bible. Yeshua's Hashem the salvation of, of the Lord is like a, the blink of an eye. In trying to research the source of that saying, I, I discovered a similar turn of phrase in the ancient Nusach, the, the prayer tradition of the land of Israel. For uh, the second blessing of the Amidah, which is the blessing about resurrection, it reads as follows. First, I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you in Hebrew, and then I'll translate. Atagibor mashpil ge'im. Chazaku medina ritzim, che olamim, mekim metim, mashiva ruach, umorid hageshem, mechalkel chaim, mechaye ha metim, keheref ayin, yeshua lanu tatsmiach, baruchata adonai, mechaye ha metim. This means you are powerful, bringing down the arrogant, you are strong and bringing tyrants to justice, the life of all worlds, who upholds the dead, who makes the wind blow and sends down the rain, who sustains the living, resurrects the dead. In the blink of an eye, you make salvation sprout for us. Blessed are you, Hashem, who resurrects the dead. This reminds me of how Paul used that same phrase to describe the resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is talking about death, but we shall all be changed. 
resurrection, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Kehareth Ayin, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. Here's a fun fact. According to Jewish law, Jewish fathers are required to, to rush home after the Passover evening prayers to begin the Seder. And this is not just a practical law about making sure to start on time for your family's sake, but that rushing is meant to symbolize God rushing in to, to redeem his people. The Torah tells us that we left Egypt in haste. But in some ways, it was the slowest haste you could imagine. It, it took almost a year for the ten plagues to unfold upon Egypt. And then on the night of the tenth plague, at midnight, Israel was set free. Deuteronomy 16.1 taught us, God brought you out of the Egypt by night. And we ate our Passover lambs with sandals on our feet, with staffs on our hand, in our hands, and we were no longer slaves. And yet we remained there redeemed in Egypt until morning. We didn't actually leave until daytime, as it says in Numbers 33.3. It says, they set out from Ramses in the first month on the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the people went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians. It happened in the morning. Now, so there is this, there's no man's land. And for the, the last 2,000 years, we have been in that strange no man's land between exile and redemption. Yeshua came at midnight of history. And we've been standing here, staff in hand, sandals on our feet, waiting for the morning light. So learn the lesson from matzah, the bread without time, that redemption will come to us suddenly, kaharif ayin, in the blink of an eye, and everything will change. I want to bless you that you would have a Passover holiday full of light and blessing, filled with the, the presence of Hashem, filled with the memory of our Master Yeshua, the Messiah, that at this holy moment, Hashem would grant you peace and spiritual insights and that in the process of, of serving him, you would be redeemed from anything that is holding you in bondage. And may we see our master coming to us soon.